0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Teeming with Ideas. I've missed you, my audience, but I'm back today with Alessandria Polizzi. I got to know Al through a friend of mine, and I guess the guy who has been a guest on this show, Quincy Troop, and was struck immediately by Dr. Polizzi's intelligence, creativity, sense of humor and couldn't wait to get her out to all of you.
1: Hello, everyone. Love it. My name is Dr. Alessandria Polizzi. I'm the CEO of a company called Verdant Consulting. We focus on building resiliency skills and psychological safety in the workplace. I started this company back in 2021. My tenure really has been on the HR leadership development side for a wide variety of multinational organizations.
0: Your website?
1: VerdantConsulting.net.
0: And your organization, I think you've won some awards recently for the work you've been doing.
1: Yeah. So our company focuses on teaching individuals and teams, uh, leaders, these skills. We do it through multi-session training Mm -hmm. that has an app that's an accompaniment, as well as that has micro-learning and mindfulness exercises in it that are actionable and no longer than 90 seconds. (laughs) And we do that through affiliates around the globe. So we have 60 plus affiliates across every industry and almost every time zone at this point who can support and deliver that training.
0: What sort of awards does somebody like you and your company get?
1: We're pretty unique in that we are focused on proactively building skills as opposed to reacting when we're in times of crisis. Okay. And so we've been recognized within the industry for that. So we're top 20 workplace wellness provider. Among companies like WebMD, Virgin Pulse, some bigger names, we are also being recognized as the top 10 change management provider. So if you think about how people absorb change, navigate change, having these skills is advantageous in that regard. And then we are also being recognized as the top professional stress reduction provider based on the fact that we teach people these skills on a way to prevent burnout.
0: So this is a podcast that's about collaboration. Your field is related, but different. And when I think of you, what I think of is stress. (laughs) I hope that's bad because I stress
1: you out. In in
0: all the best ways. (laughs) Okay. What you do is in the field of mental health. I'll never forget our first conversation where you said, who's paying attention to all the incredible amounts of stress out there? A lot of people are paying attention and writing about it. But who's doing something about it?
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Because <laughs> you were senior HR person, and you've only been at this now a yeah. couple of years.
1: Early 2021, I realized I was in burnout, not because I realized it, but because I was informed by my family. And I started to look for help, and I wasn't able to find anything that I felt would be useful. It was all opinion-based, or somebody read a book somewhere, or some random person overcame burnout and now they were going to spread the good news and a lot of people refer me to a yoga retreat center which I was like (laughs) I'm not looking for a spiritual awakening I'm just looking to like feel better and not spend every night crying in the bathtub so I decided one I needed to take time off to recover but part of my recovery was researching this And I started logging in through my daughter's college and reading scholarly articles and peer-reviewed studies on stress at work, burnout recovery, burnout causes. And then that just took me down this rabbit hole. Very quickly, though, what I saw, Carlos, was consistency in the tactics that were known to work that we never talked about in the workplace. So.
0: So there was research. You found some.
1: Ton of it. Tons of it funds.
0: Any reason why we weren't seeing that research applied in productive ways before?
1: Well, the only thing I can think my hypothesis is one, academia makes things real confusing. Yeah. They don't use everyday words. And two, I had to log in as my daughter to access this information. This is not freely made available to the world. And so, you know, she's looking, she's going to graduate this spring. And I actually thought, heck, how am I going to get access to this great data? Maybe I need to take a class or something so I can have access to it. But it's hidden in this, I call it the miasma of academia, where it's hard to get access to it. It's hard to translate it into actionable or real everyday words that we can understand. And so that to me was the biggest surprise Let me give you an example of one that really hit home for me. Okay, great. I did this on my podcast. I talk about this a lot. In 1993, there was an article written called Burnout in HR. That's 30 years ago. Okay. (laughs) When did we start talking about burnout in HR? (laughs) Uh, Maybe recently. So for 30 years, it's been well-known, well-documented, study after study after study on burnout, compassion fatigue, toxic handling, all these things in HR that we never talk about. So to me, that was a big gap. So my goal is to take the latest information around building resiliency skills, because I believe that is the competency for today's workforce, and to help educate people on what has been scientifically proven to actually work.
0: That consistency point you made a few moments ago. You said you found in all these articles, you found a surprising amount of consistency. Oh,
1: yes. One of them I absolutely hate because I hate meditating. And I really did not want mindfulness to be a thing. But gosh darn it, it was a big thing. Son of a gun. (laughs) I know. (laughs) made me so mad. So what I'm saying is mindfulness is a great example. We hear it everywhere. Some of us are like over it, uh, myself included. But the studies are just, it's overwhelming, the consistency
0: in the data. So I got to be transparent. I'm a big into meditation kind of guy. I'm terrible at it. So mindfulness was one, yay, for my team.
1: (laughs) Yes. But so I had to figure out a way that I could incorporate that pragmatically. We don't teach meditation. We teach mindfulness. And what I've learned through the research, again, thousands of articles at this point that I've read, um, if you focus on observing your thoughts and feelings in the moment. One of the things that really stuck with me is that the Chinese character for mindfulness is heart and now the present. So if I'm listening to how I'm feeling, thinking, responding, just that pause can enable me with curiosity and withholding judgment can enable me to bounce back differently than I would if I was just in reactive mode.
0: That is lovely. I did a retreat over the weekends and this is a guy who didn't like to meditate. He thinks it's a waste of time. Hate it. But I love the way you just expressed it. So we'll make sure that I send a copy of this podcast to that gentleman. (laughs) There was mindfulness. What else?
1: Okay, here's another one that again is going to sound touchy-feely, but it's not. Self-compassion. And that was really an epiphany for me that made me want to do this work was if I could have every leader learn how to practice self-coaching instead of self-criticism, we could change the world. Because as leaders, there's tons of research on loneliness, the stressors of being a leader, ways in which we bring our own biases to the workplace. And if instead of self-criticism, negative self-talk, I focused on speaking to myself with kindness, Mm. I changed the structure of my brain and how I respond to challenges. Yeah, I'm better able to support others. And I have more what they call citizenship behaviors, which is caring about the people around me when I practice self-compassion.
0: What strikes me here is the first two you've mentioned are self-centered. Here's why that strikes me. About a year and a half ago, I'd had it with psychological safety. Uh, All these people were saying, see, I have to feel safe. If I don't feel safe at work, work must be a terrible place. And I'd read extensively on it, and even spoken to Professor Edmondson at one point. But my manager may never be capable of creating a psychologically safe space. I got to start with me. I got to carry my own little psychological safety kit wherever I go so that when I get into situations that don't feel psychologically safe, or I think I can speak up and not suffer retribution for it, I got to have a toolkit. That's right. And I couldn't find anything written about the me side of psychological safety. Every article I was coming across said, dear manager, dear executive, this is how you need to behave to create it. What you're telling me now is pretty much what I got to do. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. So when we focus on leadership development, we talk at leaders, you should be compassionate, you should be vulnerable, you should be authentic. Okay, how? How do I do that and also maintain my boundaries, attend to my needs, listen to myself? Because I am still a human being. I don't shed my human needs with the promotion. That's what I focus on a lot. The number one thing I recommend is start with you. Let me talk about psychological safety because I'm I was an eye roller with psychological safety until recently, for sure. That's another mamby-pamby feel-goodery. There's tons of scientific research about what it actually is. The World Health Organization just came out with their mental health at work policy and guidelines. The ISO came out with theirs in 2021. There are national guidelines and requirements that look at psychological health and safety as the same as physical health and safety because of the data on how it negatively impacts the survival rate of our employees, the cost of health care, and the performance of our business. One study showed that high-stress workplaces we are really putting that pressure on, have one and a half times more likelihood of going bankrupt.
0: Wow. Stunning.
1: Right. Even OSHA, not the most touchy-feely, new-agey, yoga retreaty organization.
0: OSHA, for those of you who are not in the U.S., is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration.
1: Correct. They say that about 30% of muscle strain, which is our biggest cost in health and safety, are due to the lack of psychological
0: safety. So my backache may well be rooted in a lack of psychological safety.
1: Because I didn't ask for help picking up that heavy box. Mm. I didn't want to look like a fill-in-the-blank For wearing my PPE.
0: Personal protective equipment. Because my
1: boss isn't wearing mm -hmm, it. mm -hmm. It goes on and on and on. So there's tons, tons of research on the financial impact of having a psychologically unsafe workplace.
0: To me, it felt like a fool's errand trying to get my manager to be better at it.
1: But let's talk about collaboration, though, right? So how do I collaborate with others? I start with me. Yeah. What am I bringing to the party, right? Amen. And then if everyone is understanding their own biases and what they're projecting on the world, what their stress response is, then we're much better able to operate in a collaborative way. The other thing about psychological safety and collaboration is you have friction about ideas without it being about the person.
0: Yep. Well, I just listened to a TED Talk and this fellow's assertion was that the key to collaboration is non-defensiveness, because that takes the different point of view and turns it into a conflict, right? And it's certainly a valuable contributor. This self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-management is critical to so many things. I just have this picture in my head, Al, of you reading these articles and these nuggets popping out saying, oh, this nugget was in five articles, this nugget was in 10. Are there any other golden nuggets from your research that went across the research? Yes.
1: Um, The third one, and I've made this into a cute acronym, which is YMCA. So mindfulness, compassion, and acceptance, and under- understanding yourself is acceptance. And so in some circles, it's called tragic optimism, but basically it's. <laughs>
0: That's a little scary. <laughs> I hate
1: that. I hate that term, but how they measure it is through acceptance. But basically it's like the 12 step program. It's identifying the things you can control the things you can't and the wisdom to know the difference and Letting go of the things we can't control, which include other people's opinions of us, is a huge differentiator in how we weather through highly traumatic and stressful events.
0: A colleague of mine once said, what you think of me is none of my business.
1: That's RuPaul, actually.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> Yay, RuPaul. That's the first mention RuPaul's had on my podcast.
1: He just up-leveled on the cool factor. I t-
0: totally did. <laughs> Now I just need to start doing TikToks like, like you. Like me. <laughs> Those are so fun. So you've got acceptance. Again, very self-centric, very much about who I am and how I think about and talk to myself. Yeah,
1: it's well, it's about recognizing what you can and can't control, right? So
0: right.
1: if I spend a lot of time trying to control the opinions of others, how others see me, decisions other people make, Boy, that's exhausting and also really unfruitful.
0: Were there any of these nuggets that were not about me and my relationship with myself?
1: I mean, there's a lot of research on the impact that leaders have. There's a ton of research on what they call psychosocial hazards and risks. So let's talk about that. Let's do Yes. So the World Health Organization's Mental Health Guidelines, as well as the ISOs 45003, they focus a lot on what are called psychosocial hazards and risks. And that's things like organizational design, communication, feedback mechanisms, workload, basically the processes and structures in your organization that would accelerate burnout And or impact the ability for people to be psychologically safe. And that's the foundation. To me, it's two sides of the same coin. If I have a psychologically safe workplace, but people are bringing their baggage and their trauma and whatever else to work, we're going to find ways to muck it up. If I have all the skills in the world to navigate through whatever is happening for me, but I have structures and processes that undermine the ability for that to be successful, then it's also going to be a struggle. So it really is both sides that need to be evaluated and understood.
0: Does that mean, Al, that burnout and stress in the workplace and lack of psychological safety is a global Dare I use the word pandemic?
1: It absolutely is. It's called the second pandemic.
0: Oh, it is.
1: A little bit of trivia. The biggest threat to mental health is climate change.
0: I I just got all stressed out when you said that. (laughs) Right? Yeah.
1: So what we've experienced thus far is only the beginning. Unfortunately, we don't give ourselves enough credit for the number of stressors that we deal with. People say, well, that's outside the workplace. Well, inside the workplace... We still have the same brain, right? We don't get to like swap it out for one that's like all clean and shiny. We're bringing the same brain with us. And so that one brings with it all of our past experiences, the stressors outside of work, but then also a lot of the dysfunction that happens inside of work. And so, yes. So the WHO has just released in concert with the ILO, the International Mm -hmm. Labor Organization, Mm -hmm. published uh, guidelines around creating a psychologically healthy and safe workplace that talks about three things. One, preventative measures. So that's the psychosocial hazards and risks we talked about. Mm -hmm. Two, educating managers and individuals. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. And then three, supporting people in crisis. This isn't just about mental illness. Mm -hmm. It's about supporting the psychological health of the organization so that you can achieve your goals and people can thrive.
0: Uh, That's fascinating. Now, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was a recent CNN poll, which showed a surprising amount of unity.
1: Uh, A recent poll from KFF that was published on CNN, New York Times, showed that 90% of the US believes that we have a mental health crisis. What's interesting about that as well is again, data nerd. I looked at the data and One of the things that they asked about was optimism and pessimism about the future, about our country, and about the world Mm -hmm. climate. Future, we were feeling aces, like 70% positive. But our country, Mm. over 50%, we're feeling very pessimistic about our country. And over 50%, we're feeling pessimistic about the future of our planet. And so those two things, I think, are really hitting hard for those of us in the U.S.
0: You say these things, and I feel my heart sink a little bit. And it makes me want to ask you, okay, Dr. Polizzi, please tell me, before I leave your office in a state of utter depression and and rife with anxiety, where, where do I start? I'm just an average schmo who answered yes to some of those things about pessimism. What am I going to do?
1: Yeah, you're going. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to identify what you can and can't control.
0: Yeah.
1: And then the other one is, and this was again consistent across. Is be really clear about your values and your goals. What's important to you? So yes, this is all information. But what's important to Carlos? Where do you want to be? How where are you headed? What is your true north? Getting grounded in what's important to you gives you context for the things that you need to focus on and things you can just let go.
0: So if I'm worried about the effect of climate change on the world and in my neighborhood, what I need to do is remember what's important to me, more of a purpose person. What's my raison d'etre? Why am I here? What do I believe is true about me and my life? Can I be honest about that? I feel like I know that stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm still bummed.
1: (laughs) It's still, and you know what? Part of acceptance is that I feel bad about this. Right. And that's a natural response. And it makes sense that I feel the way I feel.
0: Right.
1: Speak to myself with kindness, with practicing self-compassion. There we go. And take a breath. So here we go. YMCA, mindfulness, compassion, and acceptance.
0: What's the why for?
1: Understanding you and your values and your needs. So yeah, understanding yourself. Oh. What's important to you. Got it. Practicing mindfulness, checking in on yourself. Self-compassion, speaking to yourself with kindness. Right. And also acceptance of the things you can and can't control.
0: Those individuals who want to blame, who find their power, in fact, pointing the finger at those who are making these bad things happen, whether it's my boss at the office or it's the big oil company. When I get into a collaborative relationship that isn't healthy, I tend to want to point the finger at the other person and say, if only she would do this, it would all be better. What thoughts do you have for getting someone who's stuck in that place of blame out of it?
1: I'm going to go back to what I just talked about. One, I'm going to accept that that person is going to be that way and there's nothing I can do to change it. Okay. I can make my boundaries clear. I can be really clear about myself. And then I have to let go of anything that has to do with how they behave. And then talk to myself with self-compassion of, boy, that was tough. How am I doing? Right. What do I need? And let's figure out a way to move forward. But once we can accept that people show us who they are, then we can learn tactics around how do I work with people who are that way that still aligns with my values, my boundaries. I
0: have a secret wish for all those blamers. Let's hear it. I wish you could find a way to be less miserable. (laughs) You're carrying a load of anger at those who you judge have done you wrong is there some way to help you liberate yourself? That's my wish. And I know, of course, it's outside of my control.
1: But you can stop if, being angry with people when you accept them for who they are. If the anger is, why are they not changing?
0: That stuff kills you.
1: It absolutely does, because you're, you are keep wanting people to be something that they're not. Yeah. Some of us feel like it's our fault. Like if only I said the right thing, did the right thing, showed up the right way. Yeah. We turn it inward. Self-compassion. You don't own other people's behavior towards you, their belief in who you are. That is theirs. And so getting comfortable with letting that go, that is not easy. The best thing you can do is just accept that it is hard. And so I'm going to struggle. But this is something that's going to work for me in the long run.
0: Right. So we come back again to the individual and locus of control.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, At least that's what the data shows.
0: I have a pet theory about mental health and collaboration. I've never articulated it before, but my experience in my own life and in working with my clients and colleagues is that productive workplace relationships are fundamental to mental health at work. If my collaborative chops are good and I can build productive relationships, not just about preventing stress, but I can be more fulfilled. What does your research tell you about my never very much researched hunch about that?
1: Yes, that's what my research shows. I knew I was
0: right. <laughs> I knew it.
1: <laughs> Their are behaviors like, like I mentioned earlier, citizenship behaviors, which is really about collaborating and sharing ideas. One research study that I found showed that 70% of people would not share an idea that would make the business better nor would they identify or raise their hand about a problem.
0: They just wouldn't do it.
1: 70% of people said, no, I would not do that. We can fill in the blank about why. Fear of repercussion, fear of career limiting moves, fear of being ridiculed, fear, 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 fear. And that's what psychological safety is.
0: And if I'm not sharing my thoughts and ideas, I'm not going to build productive collaborative relationships. Of course not. Because that's all about
1: sharing, communicating
0: with one another. Yes. Sharing,
1: sharing and giving feedback and bouncing ideas and being the collective being more than the separate. Right. So collaboration is about how, how do we team together? And if I'm withholding information, if I'm afraid Mm -hmm. to share my opinion, if I have conversations in the shadows, we're not moving that forward. We're undermining that.
0: Let's imagine a large organization accountable only to itself. And not very compassionate or kind and just out for the bucks and therefore abusing people i'm going to look at your organization and go you know what i love about this they're not going to make me accountable they're just going to work with my people they're going to make them figure out how to deal with all the crap i'm throwing at them every day i'm hiring her for sure
1: and i would pass on that because without support from the top, none of this will stick. I mean, I will gladly take your money. Let me be clear. (laughs) However, (laughs) um, you'll be hiring me back because this will not work. You have to really look holistically at the business. However, that being said, if you want to start with giving people the skills to navigate challenges, right? Mm -hmm. That's a nice way to start. Like it's a great, relatively easy lift. And it's something you don't have to mandate. You just say, Hey, We're aware of the ongoing pandemic around mental health. We want to equip people with skills to navigate challenges. But if you do that and then you treat people like garbage, it basically looks like you're excusing bad behavior, that you're making that part of your brand. And I don't think anybody in this talent market wants that to be their brand. So... What I'm looking for are the companies that want to be at the forefront of this movement that is coming. I mean, the World Health Organization, ISO, ILO, this is coming. The UK, Mexico, Canada, they're ahead of us on all of this, as is Australia. Do you want to be on the back end of it or the front end of it? I look for organizations that want to be at the forefront of differentiating themselves as an employer of choice. Which is why in 2023, we are looking to start certifying organizations as being psychologically safe based on these guidelines so that they can demonstrate to both their current and future employees that they're committed to creating a healthy and productive workplace.
0: Alessandria, I think that is a wonderful place to end our conversation. Thank you so much for the energy you bring to this. Thank you for the work you're doing for filling in this gap. I'm looking forward to working with you myself in the future, and I think many people who listen to this will get that same vibe, and they can do that by visiting your website, I'm sure, if they want to become an affiliate of yours.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I love having the conversation.
0: And thank you to my brilliant listeners. We'll see you on the next Teaming with Ideas.
1: Hi, I'm Janet Aldrich, producer and director of Teaming with Ideas. Thanks for listening. And thank you, John Wallerich, for the music. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, review, and share. Want more? Visit Carlos's blog, Teeming with Ideas, at carlosvdapena.com. Questions? Click on the Contact Carlos button, and we'll answer promptly. To be interviewed on the Teeming with Ideas podcast, visit carlosvdapena.com forward slash podcast contact and complete the questionnaire. Thanks again for listening, and keep on teeming with
0: ideas.